0: Well, good morning, everybody. How are we doing today? So good to see you all. Uh, Christmas is right around the corner. I saw a post this week. I thought it was funny. Two stages of Christmas shopping. Stage one, I've got plenty of time. Stage two, oh no. And uh, we're right there, aren't we? I mean, we're right there. We're one week away. And you're about to, Amazon is booked up. You're about to get to the place where Kohl's and Meyer are about your only options. And if you run out of that, you can always go to the Kroger clothing store. And uh, But don't knock it, that's where I got my shoes today. My shoes literally came from Kroger. And, uh, and then listen, if that doesn't work for you, you can always pick up an off-brand cologne at Walgreens, okay? Christmas Eve, they're open, so if you just need something else, I'm here to help all of you who wait till the last minute. But we are there, aren't we? And listen, no matter if you're ready or not, Christmas is coming. But remember, it's not the gifts that should be our primary concern, our concerns should be what the hymn writer Isaac Watts said about Christmas in his carol, Joy to the World. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her King. Let every heart prepare Him room. And the question for all of us today is this, does Christ the King reign in your heart? And that will be the question that I ask all morning. And I want to tell you a story today, and it's, it's a Christmas story, but it won't sound like one. And it begins with the Israelites in the Old Testament. It's a story that many of you will be familiar with. But the story begins with the people of God. And God's people in the Old Testament were in captivity. They were enslaved in Egypt. And they were in chains. And they wanted to be free. But then God raised up a leader named Moses, and he came to deliver those people. Moses led them through the Red Sea on dry ground he brought them the Ten Commandments from God. He led them as they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. He took them right to the edge of the promised land. But then because he lost his temper at the last moment, God said, Moses, you're not going to be able to lead them into the promised land. Maybe that's because he wanted to remind the people that as good as an earthly leader can be, they're imperfect. And Moses died. But before he did, he passed the leadership baton on to a guy named Joshua. And by the way, in January, we're going to look deeper into the story of Joshua, the first seven chapters of the book of Joshua, and we're going to do a series we're calling Fearless, and we're going to see how God used Joshua as a courageous man of God to lead the people of God, and it really is an inspiring story. And through that story, we're all going to learn, how can we be courageous in our generation? But then Joshua dies. And God raises up leaders that are called judges. And if you read through the Bible, you're going to find the story of Moses in the book of Exodus, and then you're going to find the story of Joshua in the book of Joshua, and then the story of the judges in the book of Judges. And you're going to read that book, and you're going to see different leaders that came about in the history of Israel during this time. And what you're going to learn is some are good and some are bad, but they are all imperfect. And at the end of the book of Judges, you find a statement that's very revealing it describes the entire culture of the Israelites. In Judges chapter 21, verse 25, it says, in those days, Israel had no king, so everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Israel had no king, so everybody did what they thought was right in their own eyes. And these Israelites thought about it, and they started to say, we need a king. We need a king. And God knew what they were asking, but He knew what they were asking wasn't really what they needed, but despite that, he gave them what they asked for anyway. And ultimately, God grants them what they want, and he gives them a king, and he says to the prophet Samuel, you are to anoint a man named Saul. And Saul was impressive. Saul was good-looking, he was strong, he was big. In the Hebrew, it is translated, Saul was a stud. That's not really true, but he was significant. But what we learn is his heart was corrupt. And once again, Israel needs to learn that every king is imperfect. And that broke Samuel's heart. But God told Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul? I've got another king that's prepared. And he prepared not a mighty king on the surface, but a shepherd boy named David. And David was an unexpected king, but David loved God, and he led the people with God's strength. It's the greatest time in the history of Israel, as David was a man after God's own heart. But even David was imperfect. And after David died, then his son Solomon took over, Solomon the wise. And even though he was wise, he was also stupid. He made a lot of mistakes, and Israel paid for it. And from that time on, Israel goes from corruption to corruption. Because of the unfaithfulness of Israel and their kings, Israel ends up divided, and the people end up in captivity once again. The Assyrians take over the Israelites. They went from the Egyptian captivity to now the Assyrian captivity, and they are once again not free. And during this captivity, the people of God long for something else again, and they pray, God, would you restore Israel? Give us a king like David. And in the middle of that time, a prophet named Micah began to speak words about a coming king. They misinterpreted it, but you're going to be reminded of the words. Micah 5, But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. Therefore, Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor Bears a son, and the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites, and he will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will live securely. For then his greatness will reach the ends of the earth. And do you know what the people thought when they heard that? Good, we're going to get another king. It'll be like David. Our, our our hope will be restored. Israel will be restored. It'll be our glory years once again. Instead of thinking about what God was thinking, that thought about an earthly kingdom. And friends, isn't it amazing how much stock we put in our imperfect earthly leaders? We think that only if we have the right king, the right president, the right party and leadership, then all will be well. But friends, we learn that there is only one true king. And God begins to send the Israelite people Prophets who say a king is coming, and even though they misinterpreted it, he kept saying something greater is coming. The same time as Micah is another prophet named Isaiah, and he prophesied in Isaiah 9, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and of peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. And the people thought, we need another earthly king. Their vision was not big enough. Their idea was not grand enough. And they began to pray, God, give us a king. And God said he would, and they thought it would be any day, but the reality is that prophecy would not be fulfilled for 700 years. 700 years after Micah said that in Bethlehem a baby would be born. 700 years after Isaiah said a baby was going to be coming that was named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. 700 years. And by the way, during that 700 years, Israel went from trouble to trouble. They found themselves under the rule of one corrupt regime after another. For instance, there was one leader named Alexander. We know him as Alexander the Great. He brought the Greek culture to the known world. He made sure that the Greek culture reigned. And after Alexander, nations like Egypt would take over, occupying Israel. And then after Egypt, Syria would take over and occupy Israel. And then the Roman Empire took over. And once again, the people of God found themselves under an oppressive rule, and they were crying out to God. There's no way for us, 2,700 years later, to understand the depths of what the people of God wanted when they faced the Assyrian captivity and then eventually the Roman rule. And here's what I find amazing. Even after all this time and hardship, they kept seeking human solutions. They missed the very most important truth that in every heart, Jesus, our true king, must reign. Let every heart prepare him room. And so 700 years went by. And after that time, Matthew chapter 1 tells us the fulfillment of those prophecies. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Before Joseph, her husband, was faith, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to voice her quietly, but he had. Considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She would give birth to a son, and you're to call him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. You see, the promised king was not coming to lift the burden of Romans' oppression, the promised king was coming to lift the burden of sin's oppression on the people of God. He was not coming as an earthly king. He was coming as an eternal king. He was coming to establish an eternal kingdom. As Jesus said in John chapter 18, My kingdom is not of this world. Micah prophesied his origins are from old, from everlasting. This king is eternal. And you see, friends, our God, our king, had a plan from the very beginning. You may not realize it, but everything that you see, God created, the plants, the animals, the heavens, the seas, God created it all. But his, good, his greatest creation was you. Genesis says he created them male and female. He said, it said that we're made in his image. That's why at our best we can love so deeply because God is love. We're made in his image. That's why at our best, we're loyal to our friends and family because God is faithful. We're made in his image. That's why at our best, we can have so much joy even in hard times because God is joy and we are made in his image. And all God said is, all God asked is, will you just make room for me in your heart? Will you trust me? Will you let me reign? Will you let me lead your life? Will you follow me and I'll give you fulfillment and purpose? But God didn't want to force us into that. He didn't want to coerce us into that. He just said, I'll, I want you to follow me, but you get to choose. And of course, what did we do? All of mankind chose our own way. We were just like the Israelites without a king, where it said each one went their own way, each one did what was right in their own eyes. The Bible later said that each of us chose our own way, each of us chose our own sin. That's what the Bible calls that attitude, where we choose our way over God's way. And despite the consequences, we choose it anyway. Anybody ever done something when you knew what the consequences were, but you did it anyway? In third grade, I was at Jamestown Elementary School in Jamestown, North Carolina. And in third grade, me and my buddy Stephen Duke, we were in music class. And we'd been singing with a record player an old song about a horseman who sang to his friends, Hop Up My Ladies, three in a row. My music teacher got called out of class. She said, everybody stay in your seats while I'm gone. And Stephen and Duke and I had a brilliant idea. We got up and decided to lead the class in a rousing chorus of hop up my ladies three in a row. We sounded just like the guy on the record player. I still remember exactly what he sounded like. She came back in. She didn't like that very much. Off to the principal's office, we both went where we literally met the board of education. How many know what I'm talking about? For singing in music class, we got swatted back in the day. Now, we may not have understood all the consequences, but we knew what she asked us to do, and yet we did it anyway. And how many of us have done the same thing? Say one more peep, and you're going to be grounded. Peep. Time to be grounded. One more time that you drink and drive, that's three strikes and you're out. It's just a cocktail. Look at those images and it'll hurt your spouse. She'll feel less than. Nobody will notice. Hold that grudge and you'll be lost in bitterness. Yeah, but you don't know what they did. The wages of sin is death. Yeah, but he can't be serious. He is serious. And our sin set in motion a chain of events that would impact the entire creation. And we wanted to find a solution. In fact, we tried to find a solution. We created man-made solutions. We thought to ourselves, we can get right with God if we just work hard enough. We thought we can get right with God if we just are good enough, if our good stuff outweighs our bad stuff. We thought we can be good enough, we we can get right with God if we just pray enough. We can get right with God if we just say enough right religious words. But the problem was, none of those solutions paid the price. And if there's anything, friends, that we need to learn from the history of Israel and their longing for an earthly king and their setting up of all of these different kings, here's what we need to learn. That the earthly kings don't have a remedy for their own sin. How in the world are they going to have a remedy for our sin? And I would tell you the same thing today. If you want to put your hope and your confidence in kings or leaders or prime ministers or presidents that you think are going to save you and make everything different, know this. Earthly kings come, earthly kings go. The only one that can rescue us from the pains of of our own depth of sin and heartache is an eternal king, the true king, the one and only king, King Jesus. And that is why that eternal king, king came to save us. He came to give us life and a hope. He came to give us forgiveness for our sin. That king came to pay the price for what we owed. And that king today just asked that one question, do you have room for me? Right around in the neighborhood of 30 AD, at the time of the Passover, Jesus would take one last trip to Jerusalem. And when he came into Jerusalem, he came like a king. He came just like Saul came. He came into Jerusalem and people waved palm branches. People shouted out to him, Hosanna, he is our king. And they yelled to him and they praised him. That was on Sunday. But by the time Friday came around, he didn't seem to look like a king anymore. But instead he looked like the lamb that was led to the slaughter. But as defeating as that sounds, it is exactly what the eternal king had planned. That was exactly as he had designed it. And Revelation 5, 9 tells us about that king, that you are worthy. You only are worthy to take that scroll and open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. That was always the the plan of the eternal king. And you know what that teaches us about God? It teaches us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It teaches us about the vastness of the love of our eternal King. To be able to be Jesus Christ, to choose the world over heaven, to take off that royal garment to come into our world, that has always been His heart, always been His plan, and that is His love for His creation. How deep our sin problem! And yet how vast the love of God. Our sin, our disease of sin tries to convince us that we don't need a king. In fact, some of you today, as you hear me talk, you think automatically in your mind, this is an interesting message, but it does not apply to me. He hasn't told a lot of funny stories today. He hasn't made me laugh. He hasn't made me cry. I don't really need a king. In fact, I can be the king of my own world. In fact, I do it better than anybody. If it is to be, it is up to me, and I am the king. It's very subtle, but our sin tries to convince us that we don't need a shepherd to guide us through life. We can do it ourselves, but the love of God is so vast that he came to say, you do need a king. Raise your eyes. Don't be like the Israelites who look for human solutions. Find an eternal one. Think about the links that that king went to to bring you into his kingdom. Born in a feeding trough, took upon him the shame of being labeled the illegitimate bastard son of Mary, rejected and despised by his own people that led him all the way to a cross where he exchanged what he used to wear, a royal crown of of jewels for a crown of thorns because he took upon himself your curse and my curse even though he was sinless he endured the unthinkable unimaginable agony of the physical crucifixion on a cross that actually paled in comparison to the spiritual anguish that he must have felt when he took our sin upon himself but what a king you see, when we learn from this story is that a king came out of Bethlehem, but that king was not earthly. He was eternal. That king came out of the smallest clan in Judah, but this king's greatness would reach the ends of the earth. That king would be from David's lineage, but that king was actually David's lord. That king would shepherd his people beautifully by being a lamb that was sacrificed for him. Jesus the king, Jesus the shepherd, Jesus the savior, Jesus the lamb. Behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The only question is, will you let him in? Will you let him reign? Revelation 3.20 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. Christ is asking. Christ is saying, I'm here. If you allow Christ to reign as the king of your life, he brings a spiritual joy that you can't find anywhere else. To the rich young ruler, he said, give everything up and follow me. But the rich young ruler couldn't. And the Bible says he went away sad. Another rich ruler was found in Acts chapter 8, As he was an Ethiopian, he received Christ, he was baptized into him, and the Bible says he went on his way rejoicing. Following his conversion to Christ, English scholar C.S. Lewis discovered a new sense of joy and purpose he had not anticipated. He wrote about it in a book titled, Surprised by Joy, When Christ Became His King, It Changed everything. Isaac Watts, the hymn writer who wrote Joy to the World, went through his own series of challenges. Did you know that his music so inspired a woman named Elizabeth Singer that she wrote and informed him that she was his biggest fan? The two began to correspond and fell in love with each other through Mail. It was an 18th century version of Match.com. She proposed marriage via email, even though they'd never met, and Watts accepted. And Elizabeth Singer anxiously raced to be his, his side, but when she saw him, she was disappointed because he was only five feet tall, and she went back home. She was expecting a more normal, robust man of about 5'10", <clears throat> and she wrote, He was only five feet tall, with a shallow face and a hooked nose, prominent cheekbones, small eyes, and a death-like color. Unable to see the brilliance that lay just underneath, Elizabeth Singer went back home with no intent to marry him. Isaac Watts was heartbroken, but he poured himself into his writing. He never again sought the companionship of a a woman. He never became married. And what I find fascinating is that this is the guy who wrote the song, Joy to the World, the Lord has come. Let earth receive his king. That somehow in the middle of disappointment, He found all the satisfaction that he needed in Christ, in Christ alone. When Christ is received as king, he fills the inner longing for satisfaction and significance. He brings forgiveness and purpose and joy and hope in life. He brings an inner joy that can be found only in him. Joseph Merriman wrote, joy is the echo of God's life within us. Joy is the echo of God's life within us. Are you joyful this year? And maybe the reason that you're struggling is maybe in some area of your life you are not letting Christ reign in your heart. Maybe even though you've received Him, you have not let Him reign. There's some area of your life where you said, I want to seek human solutions. I'd like to sit on the throne of my own heart. And in some area of your life, you have not yet surrendered to Christ. And I want to pray for you today as we think about that. I don't want to identify that area in your life. We all have something where we say, I'm holding this back for the king. And I'm going to pray for you today. And as we do that, I want you just to think about that area. Turn it over to him. God, you are our king. We don't want just the benefits of the kingdom. We don't want just, you know, we love the fact that we're forgiven. We love the fact that we have hope for eternal life. But true joy comes in saying, God, we want to give you our very best. We want to give you all of us. There's somebody today in here who's holding on to some past regrets, some mistakes they made in the past. And they haven't received your forgiveness because they won't forgive themselves. They're not letting you reign in their heart. There's somebody today, God, who's struggling with an ongoing temptation and sin. And God, it just haunts them and they struggle with it. And they know, God, that they should release that to you, but they don't know how. God, there's somebody in here who has a a root of bitterness in their heart. As they come to the holidays, they aren't that joyful of a time because they haven't forgiven somebody in their life. Or they haven't said they're sorry to somebody that they need to say they're sorry to. And they're holding on to it. They feel justified today. And yet, God, because of that, they're not experiencing the fullness of the joy of Christ because they're still trying to be king over that area of their heart. God, I pray that they would release that area to you, let you reign. God, there's somebody here today who's dealing with anxiety. They're worried over something in their life, maybe a child that has gone astray or finances, they come to the end of the year and, and God, they need to trust you with that. They need to know, God, that you've taken care of them in the past. You're gonna take care of them in the future. They just have to trust you with all their heart. Lean not on their own understanding. God, there's somebody who's holding on to a habit Somebody who's holding on to a thought pattern. Somebody who's holding on to to their own agenda, their own schedule, their own busyness. God, whatever it is today, as we come to this season and this week, I pray that, God, we would be able to remove those barriers and just allow Christ to reign. Help us to not have anything else, God, in, the, in your way, anything else on the throne. Help us, God, to just fully receive Christ as King.